This is Look West, a podcast from California's Assembly Democrats. Be advised, the following episode contains explicit language. When I was a kid, I wanted to be Joe Montana, which might have worked out okay, other than the fact that I was very slow and couldn't throw accurately or very far. So I played nose tackle in high school, and I loved it. My head did take a pounding, though, and sometimes I saw stars. It turns out that my line coach, former San Francisco 49er George Visker, saw stars too. A lot more of them, in fact. He actually played with Joe Montana, but he doesn't remember much about those games. Even though I I sound like I'm doing well, I don't know what I had for breakfast this morning. Uh, Now I'm getting off track. I don't remember what you even asked me. My old coach likely has a condition called chronic traumatic encephalopathy. People with CTE tend to forget things anger easily, get confused, and in later stages are often depressed and suicidal. CTE is caused by repetitive trauma to the head, trauma that can come from playing football. I'm Andy Domic with Look West. Kids all across the country play tackle football, some as young as six years old. There's no denying that kids who play tackle football are at an increased risk for head injuries. Two California legislators, Assemblymember Kevin McCarty and Assemblymember Jim Cooper have taken the lead in tackling this issue. We'll hear their ideas to make the game safer in a bit. But why exactly is this important? What are we protecting kids from? One answer to those questions can be found in George Visker's story. I'm sitting with uh, my former coach, George Visker, heck of a guy, former football player at all levels. And we're sitting in the Oakland backyard of Jennifer Lee, who he describes as his better half. We can hear the sound of the Oakland community, the 24 freeway. And it's just so great to talk to you. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me here. Appreciate it. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's start by telling us a little bit about your life in football. Tell us when you got started and just take us through it. So I started playing football in 1970. And I played on the very first Pee Wee Pop Warner team Stockton ever had the West Stockton Bear Cubs. And I've been blessed throughout my whole career. I've played on incredible teams. So that little 29-man squad we had, three of us went on assigned NFL contracts in 1980. And we had a kid by the name of Vaughn Hayes who went on to a Major League Baseball all-star career. So we had four professional athletes on a little 29-man squad of 10 and 11-year-olds. Wow. And so I played three years of Pop Warner. My third year of Pop Warner in ninth grade, I suffered my most, most serious concussion. I was knocked unconscious in a, in a worthless bull in the ring drill in practice and hospitalized. Um, no one runs that drill anymore, I guarantee you. I know you didn't. No, when I played no, we, for you. we never did. No, you're right. No, you ran a lot of other drills, and I ran a lot. <laughs> I you guys were in good shape. I yeah, we were in very good shape. <laughs> we only had, like, what, 11 people total? And you were well-educated, too. You guys had good technique. And you we knew, tried. You know, yeah. We yeah. did. We had a good coach. After Pop Warner, where'd you go next? Went to Stag High School. So I played two years of varsity for Coach Bob Manos at Stag. We only lost a single game. We lost a bowl game my junior year. We were undefeated. My senior year, ranked third in California behind the co-national champs, Rancho Cordova and, oh, got it. Um, I'm drawing a blank there down Southern Cal. Anyway, and then from there, uh, and I was, I had 3.0 GPA, and I was a pretty good ball player. I was selected top 100 high school All-American. 
had scholarship offers all over. Went to University of Colorado in 76. We played um, the Woody Hayes Ohio State Buckeyes in the 77 Orange Bowl. And then I started three years at defensive tackle. And all along the way, I suffered numerous concussions, but never diagnosed concussions. It was a joke getting your bell rung and, you know, coming off the sidelines sideways and, and not next day watching game films and not remembering parts of the game. Or So in 1980, I was drafted by the Jets in the sixth round. And I was cut at the end of preseason. And the Niners picked me up um, early in the season, uh, fifth game of the season. It was a short week. We're playing Dallas on Saturday as opposed to Sunday. And so I come in on Wednesday of one day of pads, you know, a couple of days of light practice, and then we're playing the Cowboys. And I'm first play I'm in early in the first quarter, I get ear hold on a Dallas tight end trap. Major concussion. Don't remember that game, nor the next game playing the Rams. And I was told a couple weeks later when my memory returned that during a Dallas game, I went through over 20 smelling salts. I'd come off the field sideways. They'd give me a couple, clear my head. I'd go back in, you know, and that was the way it was back then. So that was mid-season 1980, and then I blew my a knee out early in the following season, the 81 season, and I was coming back off of that when I started having my, my symptoms, my, my brain injury symptoms. Uh, projectile vomiting every night, killer headaches. I'd have a ball of light in front of each eyeball. My hearing would come and go at the beat of my heart. And later on, through my own investigation, these are all classic signs of intracranial pressure. The Fort Anders team doctors misdiagnosed it as high blood pressure. I'm on, I'm on high blood pressure pills for two or three weeks until I had focal point paralysis. My, my right arm curled up across my chest, went paralyzed. <laughs> the next morning, I go tell the team doctors in the locker room, and I, have to, I hate to laugh, but it's, uh, and I was a little angry. You know, I told the, 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 I go in, and we had just played Chicago the day before. Of course, I wasn't playing. I was injury reserve because of the knee surgery. And, and not, w- not because of your concussions. No, no, knee surgery. oh no, I had knee surgery, so, um, Concussions weren't injuries back then. It was just getting your bell rung. You know, it was it was it was a musical. It had something to do with music. You know, <laughs> so I go in in locker room the next day, and the night before, literally, my my roommates were were trying to drag me to the hospital. Two, three, four in the morning. I'm, I can't see, I can't hear. I, I am vomiting so hard. You know, everything's empty, and I'm I'm, I'm puking blood. Um, uh, then about four or five in the morning, my arm does this thing where it curls across my chest, like with my fist up under my chin. And um, then I, I, I knew I was in trouble. And um, in the morning we get up and we usually go in the day after games, like at seven thirty eight in the morning, treatment, a couple of walkthrough meetings, you know, injured players get, get work on, and then it's a light day. So I went in, I did all my, my rehab on my knee, all the usual stuff, and I waited for the team doc to see everyone that got injured. And um, when I walk in his little office in the locker room, he looks at me, and he says, what now? And I said, you mother... I said, don't tell me it's high blood pressure anymore. I said, my arm went paralyzed last night. And he rolls his eyes. He says, let's see. He gets his little light out, looks in my right eye, and says, um, and this is how my book starts. This is the first sentence. Oh, my God, your brain's hemorrhaging. And 
I jump off the table ready to kill him. He says, hold, hold, hold. So I, I'm, I am literally ready to kill this guy because I've been telling him for weeks that there was something seriously going on. He goes over to his desk, dials a couple numbers, scribbles an address. He hands it to me at arm's length like I was going to bite him if you got too close. <laughs> and he said, here, go home, lay down, and drive down to Stanford and see this, this neurologist this afternoon. So I'm walking well, out. He, he was going to have you drive. Oh, no. So I'm walking out thinking, God, thank God, this must be one of those minor brain hemorrhages. Or they would have called an ambulance. <laughs> Serious. So wow. this, I mean, this is where the humor really continues. I'm, so, to I'm sorry to laugh. No, no, That's no, it's nuts. Not. Is it not? It is humorous. That's crazy. It, it's, beyond, yeah. it's beyond comprehension. But here's the thing. I know that once he diagnosed with me with brain hemorrhage, their first thought was, oh, shit. we need to get our story straight. We need to make sure we got our ducks in a row because we really screwed up. So I drove back, drove back to my apartment. I laid down that afternoon. You know, of course, my symptoms were such I'd get up in the morning and the headaches would be, I had constant headaches, but they would get worse as the day progressed to where every evening I'd start this projectile vomiting and my eyesight would start going and my hearing would come and go at the beat of my heart. So I go lay down and that afternoon I drive down to Palo Alto to see this doc. He takes one look at me, and they didn't want—they want to do a CT brain scan, but they couldn't get me in for a couple more hours. Well, it was getting late in the afternoon, and I said, "Hey, doc," I said, um, "I'll come back, man. I'm getting close to my puking time." And he says, "You drove here?" He goes, "You can't drive like this." I said, "I've been driving like this for for weeks." So we argue. He convinces me to hang out in a room for two hours. They take me in, do a, a CT brain scan, and rush me and do emergency brain surgery. And that started this whole freaking nightmare. So tell me, what, tell me what your brain injury has taken from you. Brain injuries, I should say. I mean, where do I start? Uh, the worst part is all the lost memories with my kids. I mean, not remembering, you know, my kids' basketball games or... Steph's dances or Amanda's softball games or um, just, I mean, literally years of my life are gone. California is leading the way to make it less likely that kids suffer the same fate as my former coach. Three years ago, Assemblymember Kevin McCarty authored Assembly Bill 2007 in an effort to make football safer for kids. I played youth sports growing up, so... Soccer, little league, football. I, I love the competition. Um, I uh, I played flag football for a couple of years. I played tackle football for um, uh, for one year, and I had a lot of fun. So um, I, I had I had a great experience with youth sports. It helped, I think, provide a lot of lessons about um, um, you know being responsible, you know, healthy um, lifestyle, and you know, frankly, it kept me out of trouble and in school, and so. Um, the big part of who I am today. Youth sports mean a lot. You know, it keeps kids healthy, it teaches them leadership skills, but you know, you need, you need to focus on safety as well. I think right about that same time, I, I had just um, came across the work of Dr. Amalu and, you know, seen the movie Concussion where, where Will Smith portrayed him and realized, you know, man, youth sports are great, but there are some downsides as far as um, injuries, not just leg injuries and ankle injuries where you can, you know, heal up and move on, but brain injuries can impact the rest of your life. And so I started, you know, talking to some health professionals and realized, you know what, we can really tighten up um, health protocols to prevent uh, concussions, 
um, to prevent repetitive uh, brain hits, um, sub-concussion hits, which you know can lead to, as we know, uh, CTE and devastating impacts later in life. In 2002, Dr. Bennett Omalu, a forensic pathologist and neuropathologist, discovered CTE after examining the body of a man known to Pittsburgh Steeler fans as Iron Mike Webster. His testimony in support of AB 2007 was eye-opening. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Mr. Chairman and members. I'm excited to be here. Um, I was the first uh, physician to make a link between exposure to repetitive blunt force trauma of the head and permanent brain damage when I performed the autopsy on Mike Webster in 2004, 2002 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And uh, because of uh, the immense public health ramifications of the discovery, I worked with Hollywood to produce the movie Concussion because we believed that we needed to empower the society, empower everybody with knowledge to know the dangers inherent in exposure to repeated blows to the head inside sports or outside sports. Now, many times you hear about so much focus on concussions. Scientifically, that is actually inaccurate. Every blow to the head over time has a an inherent risk of causing brain damage. You could suffer permanent brain damage without any documented concussion, with or without helmets. And the younger you are when you begin playing the high-impact contact sports like football, rugby, ice hockey, mixed martial arts, wrestling, boxing, the younger you are when you begin playing, the greater the risk. And from papers we're beginning to see for two or three years now, even one single concussion causes permanent brain damage and permanent sequelae in a child's brain. There is nothing safe, and I repeat it, there is nothing safe about a child receiving repeated blows of the head with or without a helmet. Helmets do not prevent these types of injuries. Uh, that bill... Um you know, set um, protocols for what youth sports leagues do when a, when, a, when a kid has a concussion. I actually coach a little baseball here and softball in Sacramento. So I have to go through the same rules which I created. Interesting being a lawmaker and a youth coach. And so essentially uh, the parents and the coaches need to, do, need to know what to do if a kid has a head injury. Um, you know, the basic rules are you should identify it, um, talk to the kid about it, um, have the kid um, you know, leave play, and don't return to play until they, uh, you know, see a healthcare professional. You know, I think it's, um, you know, preventing long-term injuries, especially for sports that we know are more prone to head injuries, um, uh, soccer, um, youth football, uh, youth tackle football, um, which we'll talk to in a bit, uh, hockey. So um, youth sports coaches, leagues, parents are learning about what to do if you have a concussion. And, you know, more and more research and science is coming out as far as brain impacts on young people. And, you know, especially concussions are bad for anybody, but it's worse for the littlest kids because, common sense, their brains are developing. So a brain injury to somebody who's 10 years old is much different than someone who's 18 years old. And so it's helping parents and sports leagues and kids make sound decisions and, frankly, um, be healthier. Once AB 2007 became law, McCarty took what he felt was the next logical step. 
Yeah, I think about that same time. I was leaking about the bill I just did, and um, I was reflecting on my own youth football experience. And you know, some people think, "Oh, I never, I don't like football. I want to get rid of football because I don't." No, I, I love playing football. Um, but about that same time, I started looking at the research, um, seeing the reports, and and frankly, the the final straw was I started hearing from former professional football players, people like Troy Aikman, Brett Favre said, you know what, football is, is a great sport, but maybe these little kids don't need to put their helmets on and bang their heads around. Maybe we can wait until they're a bit older. And so uh, I came up with this notion that maybe uh, California should set some, some basic um, standards and you know, um, uh, minimum age. Uh, I thought that maybe um, you know, it would be embraced, but you would have thought that I was trying to get rid of apple pie. Uh, change is hard. And uh, I think it's an important uh, topic that I'm going to continue to look into. Um, research is coming out um, uh, every, every month. Uh, more and more professional athletes are questioning whether it makes sense for our youngest players to play tackle. It's great that young kids play flag, learn the basics, but you know maybe they can wait till they're till they reach puberty before they put on a helmet and bang their head around. Uh, the hel- helmet's really interesting because the helmet. Um, doesn't necessarily make everything exactly safe. The helmet prevents, you know, blunt trauma, blood, and your brain's going to be cracking, but doesn't protect the inside of your brain, which is um, floating around in your skull. And so, you know, some people say, we'll make the helmet safer, and, you know, they've never been safer. Maybe they're better than they were decades ago, but they still don't protect our youngest kids from lifelong impacts of, uh, of hard-hitting contact with tackle football. New research strengthens the link between football and CTE. A recent study out of Boston University and funded by the National Institutes of Health, the Alzheimer's Association, the NFL, and others shows that for every 2.6 years of playing football, the risk of CTE doubles. Further, the longer someone plays, the worse it gets with those playing more than 14.5 years suffering CTE at a rate 10 times higher than peers who played less. Even if you did have a law that says, you know, um, you know, tackle football for anybody, uh, let's say the ages of 12, but what about 13 and 14 year olds? You should have laws to protect them. You know, no Oklahoma drills, no helmet to helmet practice seven days a week. Um, you know, limit hit, limit contact on kickoffs where have the most amount of injuries. So there are certain things you can do. But I think the larger question is coming out with all this research that says, even if you can make it safer, is it safe? You know, you can make smoking safer for 16-year-olds, but we decide, you know what, that's probably not good public policy. You can make cars safer for 12-year-olds to drive, but you say, you know what, we should wait till they're 16. Our, our job is to protect kids and save lives. And so if research shows that this is something that uh, puts kids at risk, I think we ought to we ought to act here in California. Assemblymember Jim Cooper also wants to protect kids. And his recently approved law, AB1, takes steps to protect kids in youth leagues from head trauma. America's pastime, okay. uh, the most popular sport in our country, um, played, up, played in high school and had a lot of friends that played. My brother played also. What position? Defensive end. And on the record, were you good? I was okay. Okay. But I played for a great team, Cordova High School. Nice. Excellent. So why did you decide to tackle the issue of football safety? For safety and our younger players. Obviously, this bill just follows the same 
protocol that the high school players do. So not a big change in my mind. Um, are you concerned about head injuries and other injuries in football? Is that why you uh, picked up this bill? Yes, and also head injuries in other sports, baseball, soccer, basketball, a number of sports that happens, not just football. We want to concentrate on football because so much attention has been focused on the sport. So who does it affect? You mentioned uh, youth sports leagues. Uh, how, how prevalent are those in California? Very prevalent. It really, Pop Warner, for lack of a better term, those youth sports leagues that aren't at the high school level. So it really helps them out. So describe for me some of your conversations with parents uh, as you went to uh, put this bill together. They were nervous. They thought we were going to ban youth football, and that was never our intention to ban youth football. We just wanted to make it safe, and really it just codifies what high school is doing right now. One of the things, uh, just going through the bill, one of the provisions that stood out to me is that one independent non-rostered individual shall be there and that individual has the authority to yank a kid out of practice. Correct. Uh, why is it important to have somebody who's independent? Because somebody doesn't have an interest. They're, they're non-vested, they're there, and they're really a neutral third party. And they're looking after the best interest of that child. And that's what it comes down to. We just want to make sure that these kids play sports, have a good time. But we also want to look out for their health and well-being. Uh, what do you think the most important part of this bill is? There are lots of parts. Um, one, it limits contact to um, 30 minutes twice a week which is the same as high school. And a lot of people don't know that. They were aghast. What are you doing? You're ruining football. No, we're not ruining it. We're just bringing it in line. And we want to err on the side of safety for our kids. But once you tell them what the bill does, uh, I think it takes a lot of their fears away. So I noticed that uh, you worked with the American Academy of Pediatrics. Um, that They issued a report uh, tackling in youth football from October 2015. How does this bill fit in with the recommendations they had made? It draws on some of the recommendations from that, and really we worked with them in other groups to get it done. The other thing that, that caught my attention uh, from the committee analysis, uh, some worry that if AB1 is adopted, parents may interpret this to mean that tackle football is, is quote-unquote safe. Um, the bill language itself notes in the findings and declarations, the awareness of possible injury risks associated with football are now widely known and accepted by parents, players, coaches. So why is, and in your statement, uh, you had said um, you're proud to author AB1 and you'll continue, you'll work to continue to make football, uh, kids play football in a safer environment. Why is that important to have a distinction between safe and safer? I think a lot of attention has been focused on the concussion issue and we just want to make sure we're doing the smartest and, um, you know, most significant um, I guess safety standards in the nation. So these safety, these are some of the highest. These are the highest safety standards in the nation when it comes to youth football. And it's not an outright ban on youth football. It's just being safe with it. And I think um, anyone that really thinks about it, um, we could have been headed in another direction, a possible ban on youth football. And I think a lot of folks didn't want to see that. So I think we got ahead of it, and I think it's going to work out for everybody. What do you say to those who think we should ban it? I know Dr. Amalu's position is that nobody under the age of, I think, 12 should play. Right. What, what do you say to folks like that? I'm not for banning it, and part of the issue is tackling and teaching kids proper tackling um, mechanics. So, And then also in practice, you're lessening that, the, the incidence of contact. So to me, it's an overall safer game. They can still learn the game and still be safe, but a lot of it comes down to coaching. And that's what the bill is not implemented until 2021 to give coaches time and leagues time to make the adjustments. And let's be quite honest, some of these leagues are doing it right now. So do you think this will lead to fewer head injuries? I think so. I think, I think number one, limiting practice uh, 
to twice a week, and then also um, making folks more aware of what's going on in the issues. You have a lot of parents concerned, but they don't want to stop their kids from participating in youth sports. It doesn't change tackling, but it helps coaches understand proper format and technique, right? So that is that kind of the focus of this? Correct. And through the training that the coaches will receive from their independent leagues, um, it'll be more in line. And it, you can never have enough education just to really educate those coaches because they're the ones that are teaching those kids how to tackle. So I think overall it's going to make it a bit much safer uh, program. As I mentioned, Omalu is one of those who say that you can't make football safer. Right. But should we keep trying? I think we should keep trying, absolutely. And if the, we know a little bit of information. There's a lot more that we need to find out and learn, and this is making it safer. As you've heard, both Assemblymember Cooper and I played high school football in the Sacramento region. He played for one of the area's perennial powerhouses, a fact that he couldn't help but remind me about while we recorded this podcast. And though you'd expect rivalries to fade over time, especially given that we played during different eras, clearly, sometimes, they don't. So some of the best teams. So for all you Christian Brothers fans and Folsom Bull- Bulldog fans and Oak Ridge fans, nah, it was all about Cordova. So I'm not sure we'll be able to use any of this because I was a Brothers. Uh, oh, were you? Yeah. <laughs> so this, this interview may have to. I'm Andy Domic with Look West. Thanks for listening. The Look West podcast is produced by the California Assembly Democrats. Please subscribe and rate this show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And when you think of California and politics, remember to look west.